Fine. There are people in this world we maybe don't want to have peace with, but why does God tell us to be at peace with others? Well, He's called us to. It's our calling. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. It's an unusual verse for me to pick. It's a, an interesting verse. It's about uh, a Christian who, someone who becomes a Christian who is married. Uh, and Paul is saying, look, if your husband or your wife leaves because they're not down with this Christianity thing or they don't like who you are now, let it be. We are called to live in peace. That is a challenging one, but there we are. Paul uses even a more very difficult circumstance to say, be at peace. We're not called to live in enmity with people, but to live in peace. God himself is peace. His church should reflect that. Paul writes, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. We are to reflect Christ. The Romans called the early early followers of Jesus, Christians, we adopt the name now, Little Christs. We are to be like Christ. And if we're going to seek peace for ourselves, then we must seek peace for others. One of the most famous uh, scriptures is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if we're to love ourselves by finding peace in ourselves, then we must expect the same for our neighbor. But here's something really exciting about being at peace with others and pursuing it. When we do so, we're actually working with Christ, we're working alongside Christ to proclaim peace on earth and goodwill to all men. We are doing as we should. Jesus will be pleased. We're fulfilling His mission. We are being Christ on earth. As the song, Make Me a Channel of, of Thy Peace, we sing it, but we know how difficult it is, but it's not, I will be, it's make me, because we realize what an amazing thing it is in the world when we have peacemakers. I do like something by the commentator Matthew Henry. I'm actually a big fan of, I don't know if you know him, but uh, this speaks into a lot of avenues of peace. Peace with those who oppose the church, peace with friends, peace with enemies, peace with everybody. Uh, and it's focusing on the idea of that Christ didn't come to get us to start calling everyone out for all their wrongdoing. He writes, Christ never intended to have his religion propagated by fire and sword or penal laws, or to acknowledge bigotry or intemperate zeal as the mark of his disciples. The children of this world love to fish in troubled waters, but the children of God are the peacemakers, the quiet in the land. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake are happy. This is the greatest paradox of all and peculiar to Christianity and therefore it is put last and more largely insisted upon than any of the rest. No other religion, no other belief system tells us to be at peace with others as one of our main commandments. You may find threads of it in different religions that it's good to be at peace, but at all costs, well, we're going to explore that, is it, at all costs in a few moments. But it is clear that it is God's will for us as Christians to live at peace with others. And there's also benefits for this. If you've known Christ long enough and followed Him long enough, and if you don't know Christ, then trust me when I say that when God asks us to do something, it's for our own good as much as it is other people's. So if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to get to know Him, because His wisdom is great. 
and it is of great benefit not only to the world and others, but to yourself. So, what are the benefits of being at peace with others? Well, I think there's common sense. For your own family's sake, in Psalm 122, it's written, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. All you need to do is ask my wife from previous experiences in the workplace or, or any life experience where I come home not at peace with someone. <laughs> Just ask Lindsay what that's like. Look at your own family when you're not at peace with someone or your son or your daughter or your husband or wife or someone in your family, your mom or your dad, come in and they're not at peace with someone, it affects you, right? Not having peace with others brings distress, disagreement, high blood pressure, fits of rage, depression, confusion, and it is very hard to hide that from one's family. And here's another positive common sense way of looking at this. The more friends you have, the more peace you have with people, the more resources you have available to you. You know, as you think about business world, what people do, they network and they make friends. Why? because it is resourceful for their business. And what great wisdom for us as Christians and human beings to be at peace with as many people as we possibly can, for they become resources to us also. They become people that might be a helping hand for us in the future. Other common sense factors, it feels good. In James 3, James writes, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We don't like it when we don't have peace within ourselves. And we don't like it when we're not at peace with others. We do like being at peace. It brings a sense of righteousness, of being and doing the right thing. Doing the right thing in regards to peace with others brings good conscience, spiritual peace, and a sense of being in God's favor. There's an eternal benefit from being at peace with others. In Psalm 37, it is written, consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. A future awaits those who seek Christ. Why do people seek Christ? What is it that motivates a person to seek Christ? I would guess that on almost every single person who was converted, there was a moment of realization that they have no peace. Whatever the motivation, even C.S. Lewis, who I believe uh, almost academically came to faith, but there was a lack of peace with knowing that Christ was the truth and that he did not have Christ. There is almost always a lack of peace before someone becomes a Christian. We call on God because of it. We give our lives to Christ because of a lack of peace. We are seeking peace. We're seeking peace with ourselves, peace with others, and peace with our world. And ultimately, we're seeking peace with God through Jesus Christ. And what is the future for those who seek peace with Christ, eternal life. We're told by Jesus himself that we will be blessed if we are peacemakers. In Matthew 9, the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. By adopting grace and bearing grace's fruit, on earth and in eternity, we will appear to be and will actually be children of God. It's not just something for heaven. When we are peacemakers, we will be children of God. We will be called children of God, at least as far as God's concerned. We will therefore be pleasing to God and so blessed. We will be right with God. It makes sense. And perhaps what's more most important to us, if we're honest as Christians, is that God will be with us. In 2 Corinthians 13, 
Paul writes again, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The result of striving for peace and having peace with others is that God will have peace with you. You will have peace with God. He will be with you. When we are in enmity with someone, it can be very hard to sense God's presence. After all, Jesus tells us twice in two different ways that we should go and put things right with whoever we have an issue with before we go to Him for anything. In Matthew 5, He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And in Mark 5, it says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. If we want God to be with us, we must strive for full restoration, encourage each other, be of one mind, and live in peace. I could finish the sermon there, but there'd be a lot of people going, ah, but maybe, maybe they wouldn't. But I certainly know from times in my life when things have been really hard, that I would say, but what if, what if, what about them? So here are some what ifs that I believe God has some wisdom for, for us on. What if the person is beneath you? What if you're clearly more learned, more experienced, or more moral than them? Well, in this instance, I think it would serve us to remind ourselves that none are righteous, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that we must not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. God is far, far superior to me and you. Like, it's not even worth comparing how superior God the Father is to us. There is no point in me comparing myself to Christ and saying, well, where am I in regards to holiness and righteousness and so on in terms of my doing and being in my daily life? Jesus is far, far superior to me in every possible sense and to you. And yet, He extended His grace to me. He is offering and extending His grace to you. We must just simply extend it further. Otherwise, we are hypocrites and we are not Christians. As the Geneva Study Bible writes, there is nothing that disrupts harmony as much as seeking glory when every man detests a base estate and ambitiously seeks to be exalted. Basically saying you want to have harmony in your church, harmony in your family, harmony with anyone, then you need to ditch this idea of superiority or chasing after power or having people praise you for your behavior. We must yearn and strive for peace with all people, no matter how the world views them or how our flesh might view them in terms of our judgment. But here's the real crux. The real thing we want to get to tonight is what if someone doesn't want peace with you? What do you do then? As we read from Romans 12, there's something very important to note. Paul writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God has worded this, not be at peace with others. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. God does not want any of us in here or anyone who might listen to this if it's being recorded to be crippled with guilt and fear 
because people don't like us. He doesn't want us crippled with guilt and fear because someone will not or will refuse to forgive us or give us grace. He does not want us crippled with guilt and fear for whatever reason, just because someone's not at peace with us. He simply wants us to do everything that we can to make things right. Sometimes we have to learn to live with the differences and seek God to give us internal peace anyway. Sometimes that will be our lot. We may not have peace with everyone. And if it comes to that bit, then we must satisfy ourselves with the peace of God for ourselves and pray for those who persecute us and who don't like us. What if peace means agreeing to something that you think is not okay by God? That's a big one, isn't it? Do your best to keep be at peace with someone, but what if that verges on doing something that God's not too pleased with? Well, clearly the answer is no, you don't do that. We cannot in good conscience allow sin to carry on unquestioned. We've got to be wise. We cannot allow someone to think that their damaging words or behavior are okay. How might they learn otherwise? And we cannot in good conscience allow someone to continue to hurt other people if we have the influence to prevent it. We cannot in good conscience willingly ignore the opportunity for justice if there is an opportunity for it. Notice that I said the word justice, not vengeance. By doing any of the above, doing any of those things I just mentioned, we will cause ourselves to stumble and fall. We will have no peace because we will have gone against the will of God. We'll be allowing things to happen just because we want a bit of peace. We'll stay silent because, oh, we don't want to upset anybody. We would not be honoring God's will. An example from church would be if a disruptive member of a church is known for being disruptive. They are the disruptive member of the church. And just for the sake of peace, we don't say anything. Well, we're meant to live at peace with people. We can't say anything. With Christ and for us, it is not peace at all costs. It is not. It is peace at all costs to us but not peace at all costs, including God's justice and righteousness and holiness. It certainly cannot be a replacement for the truth. The truth must be proclaimed. God must be shown to be right. We cannot just allow lies to be in our church or to be in our world. We must strive for excellence and good and righteousness and holiness, but we must also strive for peace as best we can manage. And here's the other thing about when we let other people you know, get away with things just because we want peace. We actually make grace out to be something less than it actually is. Grace is not God saying, hey, see all that sin? That's all right. It's saying, see all that sin? I will love you regardless, in spite of. I've taken care of it. That's God's grace. It's not God looking down on Stuart me and saying, oh yeah, just keep, keep sinning and doing that. It's fine. That's my grace. No. The grace is saying, you're doing wrong. I love you, even though you do wrong. That's grace. It's being merciful because someone deserves or needs the mercy. It's not because what they're doing is okay. John Gill, the commentator, writes, in some cases, 
to seek peace would be unlawful, i.e. when it cannot be done consistent with holiness of life and conversation, with the edification of others, the truths of the gospel, the interest of religion, and the glory of God. These are things that are never to be sacrificed for the sake of peace with men. And Matthew Henry states that peace without purity is the peace of the devil's palace. I don't want to be in the devil's palace. No, thank you. But we must all do all that we can up to the point of wrongdoing and the rest we leave to God. What if, though, because I'm always, I think often we, we can assume things when we preach to congregations that mostly we're all dealing with things that we all deal with in a day-to-day life, but there are some great evils in this world, some horrendous evils, things that most of us would don't even want to think about. There are also ones that involve breaking the law. What if the person has broken the law against you? What if they've seriously against against you? What if it appears unforgivable, and what if you are in agony? Well, Jesus certainly does not teach that there is one law for Christians and that there's one law for everybody else. If a person's broken the law, we don't deal with it in-house and cover it up. It has to be dealt with. The laws of the land, God is in charge of those too. We are told by Jesus to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Caesar's, and Paul tells us to submit to our governing authorities as they have been established by God. God has given his judges and courts to carry out justice on our behalf here on earth. He does not say cover it up and let God judge later. God will not allow miscarriages of justice. So even if there is a miscarriage of justice here on earth, know that God is ultimately the judge. It is not forbidden to the magistrates to do justice to those that are wronged by punishing the wrongdoer, nor to make and execute just and wholesome laws against malefactors, but it forbids private revenge, which flows from anger and ill will. And this is fitly forbidden, for it is presumed that we are incompetent judges in our own case. You often think when you hear about court cases and what someone's done, and you think they only got seven years, or they only got this, or they only got that, and it's often plastered over tabloids. But what we don't realize is that a judge has to make a decision without emotion and purely on the law. And it is hard for us when we are sinned against greatly and we feel like someone has got off. But the same thing goes with God, that when a Christian or someone hurts us, we may think, God, strike them down. I mean, David said some very choice things about his enemies in the Psalms, things that are not nice to repeat. But God, there are no miscarriages of justice. He is the ultimate judge. So if we feel that we cannot settle out of court, or it is clearly a matter for the law, then we must pursue justice in this way. It is good and proper to do so. And so I'll finish by saying peace with others is hard, but it is worth it. It's actually one of the hardest things we're asked to do as Christians. The funny thing is, it's the one thing that Christ did for us. Because he knew we couldn't do it for ourselves. What is it that Christ did for us? He gave us peace with others. He gave us peace with God. All he asks is that we imitate him as we try to have peace with others. He's not asking you, if you're struggling with this message, to ignore your pain. 
He's not asking you to let people off the hook. There's a difference between the hook, which is justice and God's justice, and your hook. He wants people off of your hook because you can't handle it. I've had people who have deeply, deeply hurt me and they've been on my hook and you want nothing more than to get them off your hook, not for their sake, but for your own. Because when I'm taking a big fish, I've never fished, so <laughs> I might be a terrible illustration because I don't know how to fish, but I can imagine it's pretty hard if you've got a big mako shark and you're out in Florida and you're whatever, and you're not going to do that with just a fishing pole, right? It needs to be attached to the boat and so on and so forth. If that mako shark is the injustice that you're feeling, then your fishing pole isn't going to be enough to handle it. But God's boat, God's hook is. God's hook is strong enough to carry any evil and to do right by you. He is able to judge rightly and fairly, and He will. We do not have to, and you do not have to become friends with everybody. You do not have to embrace people, ignore your pay, and say, hey, it's okay. But He is asking us to do as Paul teaches, which is to not repay anyone evil for evil to do not take revenge and for not, for to leave good room for God's wrath. He's asking you to, if you do so by being kind to your enemies as best you can, then you heap burning coals on their head and you will not be overcome by evil, but rather you will overcome evil with good. Peace with others is hard, but it is worth it. If you repay their evil with evil, it will not bring you peace. An eye for an eye or worse may satisfy bloodlust or anger, but it will not take away the pain that makes you feel the bloodlust or anger in the first place. I mean, I've seen many Hollywood films where you see someone who's war films or whatever, and they've done wrong and they've murdered somebody, and the person goes and shoots them, and are they any more at peace? No, because they've still lost their daughter, they've still lost their son, they've still lost their family, they've still seen the massacre. The other, another death makes no difference to the person's peace. It may satisfy bloodlust and anger, but it does not satisfy that lack of peace and pain. And God knows this. In fact, by doing so, by taking revenge, we actually enter into the world that the person has inflicted on us. We just spread the misery around, even though we want to. We would all be accompanied with guilt, which would only intensify the agony we feel as we take revenge especially for Christians, because we know we haven't done what God wanted. And we must not believe Satan's lies, because I know from experience and speaking with other Christians, older and younger, that people say, ah, but they get away, they get away, and it's so hard. Satan will lie to you and say that God can be mocked. God cannot be mocked. Everyone will reap what they sow. Evil will not go unpunished. Punished. That is God's promise. He will avenge, he will repay, as is right. And being gracious actually might help you out. You may actually find reconciliation, which will bring peace. Or, another thing about it is, if you do the right thing, another person keeps doing the wrong thing, all that's happening is that you are keeping yourself right, and that person is going to be further and further condemned. It's, Paul writes that really that you're heaping hot coals on their head 
they will just be seen to be more wrong than they were to begin with, and you will be seen to be more right than you were to begin with. Peace with others is hard, but it is worth it. It may seem costly. It may seem impossible in some situations. But in those times, we cry out to God and ask, her, ask Him, make me a channel of your peace, even though everything in me and my flesh doesn't want to be. But really, the, what you're aiming for here is not power and control. You're aiming for peace, not just with the other person, but with you. I encourage you personally, every one of you, to live in peace with others to the best of your ability. And I'll leave you with these words from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.